Well, good morning, Gospel Hope, and uh, welcome back to our series. Uh, it's just a three-weeker, but this is the second week in our series entitled Reasons, Reasons, plural, for the season. Um, it was our goal with this season, or with this series, actually, to provide uh, the church with some real talking points, opportunities to be intentional in your disciple-making during the Christmas season um, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and why He actually came. Um, just consider for a moment if you were hosting a baby shower and uh, everyone showed and each person came to the baby shower and fixated on the games or perhaps the colors, the decor. They fixated on uh, the toys or the gifts or the boxes of pampers or uh, one another. But no one actually brought any attention to the new life that was being celebrated for that family, which was the centerpiece of that baby shower. It would be ridiculous, right? Well, I hope that we can borrow from that same emotional tension when we think about the Christmas season. It's obvious that uh, the Christmas season has, uh, uh, brings about many different joyous moments. Again, the unwrapping and exchanging of gifts. Uh, the decorating of the Christmas tree, the hanging of lights, uh, the singing of carols, the um, various games and traditions that all of our families may have. And all of those are good in and of themselves, nothing essentially bad about them, until they become the main focus or the reasons for our gathering rather than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And so uh, throughout this uh, series, again this mini series of just three weeks, we want to take a look at some passages of Scripture where Jesus Himself defines why it is that He came. And this would shape for us the reasons for the season. Um, just a, kind of a special hello to Laverne Blades. Uh, I have enjoyed just talking uh, with your daughter um, after church at times, and she's been sharing with us how you have uh, been enjoying um, our online services. And just hello to all of you also who, uh, who watch and uh, participate in Worship with Gospel Hope through the online experience. So we praise God for each and every one of you, and I pray that you will enjoy today's message. Again, our second installment on the series, reasons, plural, reasons for the season. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get started. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, we're thankful to you today for every single opportunity to open your word, your sacred text given to us, preserved throughout time, Lord God, for the purpose of doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, so that your people would be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Lord God, equip us today, furnish us for the good work of being very intentional in our gospel conversations during the Christmas season regarding the reason that you sent your son. Lord God, teach us and show us exactly why he came so that it would be a very specific knowledge that we have. Lord God, refresh us, those of us who have grown up in and around the church, and Lord God, educate us who may not have, and this is the first time we're hearing this kind of information, but in all of it, Lord God, would you please glorify yourself in the way that it is heard, in the way that it is practiced, in the way that it is preached. Uh, and this is our prayer in the matchless and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, I'd like to bring your focus to verses 44 and following. And these are the words of Jesus. And they say, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. 
I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save it. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, and the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. And what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus has given us a yet another reason for his coming. And I love to just kind of double down on it. And that reason is given to us very clearly in John chapter 12, verse 46. It says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Um, man, it was close to 15 years ago. I remember... Um, standing at this particular place in the Philippines. No, I was not on the balcony in some Marriott villa gazing out over lush terrain. I was actually in the village of Mindanao on top of a mountain uh, as they were part of a short-term missions trip. And I will never forget the first time that I experienced absolute or what felt to me like absolute darkness. Uh, there was no electricity in the village there uh, in Mindanao, except for that which would be provided maybe by a generator or either maybe the celestial bodies in the sky, moon, stars, and etc. And at this particular time of night, it was my very first night there, and I remember as the sun went down, it became so dark, it became so black that I could not see my hand in front of my face. I had never experienced darkness like this before. Having grown up in a highly industrialized nation where the moment that the sun goes down, other lights automatically kick on, or living in urban areas or even suburban areas in uh, Atlanta where you have lots of what I guess we call light pollution, there's always some kind of light either uh, based on distant city lights or cars driving by or even the very lights in our own homes. It's very rare to be in a place of complete darkness in our contemporary world here in the West. But here I was in the Philippines experiencing this deep darkness like never before. I couldn't describe it uh, other than to say uh, it was staggering to me for my hand to look the same and to be equally invisible whether my eyes were closed or open. I mean, it was unbelievable to, to the only distinction, the only reason that I knew that my eyes were closed was because I could feel the skin on my eyelids against my eyeballs. But other than that, it was total darkness. It was unbelievable, deep darkness. Now, what did it do to me? Well, I began to think about passages like these where Jesus, a citizen of the ancient Near Eastern world, would talk about darkness, staggering and deep darkness, and the fact that he came in the world to be light. I begin to think about the great value of light and the role that it plays in the light of people like ourselves, life of people like ourselves. 
Uh, I was thrown back to a passage in the book of Genesis. You're familiar with it here in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, which were the first day. The book of Genesis goes on to tell us that after light, spoken into existence by God, uh, was, was put in place, that the Lord also uh, hung the celestial bodies, and he said, you know what, one of these lights will be for the day, that is the sun, and one will be for the night, which is the reflected light that comes from the moon. And we also know, just by seeking scientifically, that light serves uh, uh, many different purposes in our lives, just at a very practical level. Like, for instance, uh, light lets us know where I am. Even our modern technology, like a GPS, prior to that, it must be based on the simple fact that we know where true north is, based on the position of the sun, light. We don't know where we are without light. We, just like myself in the Philippines, I, had no, I, I knew where I was only because the light was on previously, but without light, if anybody had dropped me off, I would have no way of looking around me and discerning my surroundings. And so light brings us an awareness of where we are in a very practical sense. Life is, life, it, light is critical to the life of human beings in a very practical way, light. But not only does the world uh, uh, need light to know where it is, light, as you can even see it in the book of Genesis and even understand it today in contemporary times, our clocks, the advancement of time, the advancement of weeks, days, and calendars are predicated on understanding how much light we have for what durations of the day. We wouldn't even understand durations and times without light. Light not only provides us with this recognition of where I am or how much time may have advanced, but light also provides us with an understanding of essentially what's going on around me. I'm able to look at my observable world and make certain, come to certain conclusions simply because light enables me to do so. So light in a very practical way is super critical for us. And so when Jesus says, I came into the world that people may have light what exactly is he talking about? Is he talking about he just wants to be like a big or a, a flashlight? Or is Jesus just wanting to provide some kind of aesthetic compliment? What does it mean exactly for Jesus to be light? Well, if we look at the scriptures and read Jesus's words slowly, once again, we'll know that he isn't just talking about light in the traditional sense, like what we flip a switch on the wall and then, of course, our room is visible and illuminated. Jesus is talking about something much deeper than that. Well, exactly what is this deeper thing that Jesus is talking about when it comes to light? Him saying that when he speaks his words and his words provide us with light or he himself is light. And when we see him, we're not really seeing him, but we're actually seeing the father. Or when we believe in him, we actually believe in the father. We understand immediately that Jesus as light is providing us with something much, much more than just this physical phenomenon that allows you to see my face and my hands and my sweater right now. You see, Jesus came into the world to provide light for this reason. Light raises our awareness, very simply, of the problem of darkness. 
Light raises our awareness of the actual problem of darkness. You see, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus' target audience, his first audience here, were a group of people who enjoyed remaining in darkness. That was their default setting. It was darkness. And the introduction of light allowed them to become aware of three distinct things that I want to cover with you today as kind of the body or the heart and soul of our message. You see, Jesus came to raise our awareness of the problem of darkness in order to draw us into the joy of righteousness. Jesus came to raise our awareness of the problem of darkness in order to draw us into the joy of righteousness. Both practically and spiritually speaking, light serves this purpose. It brings situational awareness, it brings self-awareness, and it will ultimately bring sin awareness. That is, Jesus as light comes into the world to bring situational awareness, self-awareness, and also sin awareness. When we say that the Lord brings situational awareness, what we mean is very simply, just like physical light does, Jesus in his spiritual light brings us a deep sense of understanding or a better sense of understanding, where am I? When we look at the light of Jesus's word, it illuminates for us what's happening in our world around us. When we look out and we see things through the lens of God's word in the Bible, we immediately recognize that what's happening in my world is that my world is fallen. Because Jesus says that those of us who live in the world, our default setting is one of remaining in darkness. This is all here in verse 46. But not only does the light of Jesus provide this dynamic contrast where we recognize that our situation is one of darkness in a fallen world, but the light of Jesus, because light tells us how much time we have, the light of Jesus and the truth of his words also inform us that our world is not only fallen, but our world is also finite that we have a limited amount of time. Every advancing day reminds each one of us as human beings that our world is temporary. And the light of Jesus does that, shows us our fallenness, and it also shows us our finiteness. Now, the word of God also comes, Jesus, who is light and who is also the word and who preaches the word that is light, Jesus comes and not only tells me or shows us our situation where we live in a world that is fallen and a world that is finite, but it also alerts us to the fact that there has to be some kind of fix. There has to be some way of fixing these things that are fallen and broken about this fall, finite world. These are realities that both the just and the unjust clearly recognize. Whether you are religious or not, you cannot deny that our world is broken. You may not use religious insider language like fallen or sinful, but you definitely know that something is wrong, that this place isn't working working according to the original or plan. We know that this world is not functioning in a way that represents an ideal. Our world is fallen is how Jesus's words brings light to the reality of what all of us recognize. Our world is fallen. But Jesus's words also bring this awareness of another reality that the same world that is fallen is also finite. That, that, that as we look around us, things are fleeting. They are not staying the same. They are moving to a place of decay. Things that were here yesterday are no longer here the next day. Our very own bodies reflect a finite nature. We look around our world and we recognize that it is finite. 
but there is also something within us because of light that we have some sense of hope that these problems can be remedied, that they can be fixed, that they can be helped, that there is some kind of hope. The just and the unjust all agree not only on the fallenness of the world or the finiteness of the world, but also that it must be fixable. It is the stuff that makes us create our great solutions of trying to come up with renewable resources and pivot in how we use energy. It is our belief that this world is fixable that drives great initiatives to try to recycle or to stop greenhouse gases. It is our belief that the world is fixable that causes us to pass legislation and to raise policy that says that we can stop certain kinds of violence or bring back certain or, or bring balance to certain inequities in our culture. It is our innate belief, both amongst the just and the unjust, that, that, that something about this world is indeed fixable and it shapes the way we do life. We believe that this thing is fixable. But the Bible tells us, and it gives light on this issue, that this fallen finite world is fixable, but guess what? Not necessarily by human hands. And this is the light or the situational awareness that Jesus brings about this darkness in which we all live. You see, I believe it can be said very simply that Jesus came to cause us to see our world's current situation calls for a supernatural solution. Jesus comes into the world first and foremost to cause us to see that our world's current situation calls for a supernatural solution. As we recognize the fallenness and the finiteness and yet this fixableness of our world, it's not fixable by us that the solutions that we need are beyond any one cultural group. They are beyond any one era. They're beyond any one piece of technology. They're beyond any particular piece of government legislation. We recognize that this world is broken in a way that is far, far beyond any uh, uh, accesses or gifts that we have as human beings. Like it is apparent, it is clear that we need a superhuman or a supernatural solution. And this is the situational awareness that Jesus wants to bring concerning the collective darkness that we all have in this world. Jesus's words make it clear in this passage that this darkness that we live under isn't just a darkness that affects us personally, but it is a darkness that affects us globally which means that if we are going to walk in the light, as the Bible say, and to be children of the light, that our goal isn't just to make sure that salvation or this solution that only God can offer happens for me and my four and no more, but it also is something that I broadcast to the world. Jesus comes not just so that People like you and I can be saved and then huddle up and no one else gets saved because now our personal issues have been met. But the reason that the world is being acquainted with this darkness is so that the world can know that it needs a solution that is global in nature and not just personal for certain people who choose to worship a certain kind of God. All of us need salvation. The whole world needs salvation. And so just as universal and global and ubiquitous as light is when it is shining and as darkness is when there is no light, God wants there to be an awareness that the whole world is in deep need of salvation. And this is a part of why Jesus came to bring us situational awareness of our own collective, global, yet personal darkness. But Jesus is coming to do something else, not just bring us situational awareness, but also to increase our self-awareness. 
I want you to consider for a moment that moment uh, back in the mountains of Mindanao, in the village of Mindanao in the Philippines, when the lights were out and I could not see my own hand, there were many other things that I couldn't see. I was completely disoriented in many regards in terms of getting back to my sleeping quarters. I, I didn't have any real perspective on where I was if I couldn't see my feet clearly. I didn't have great self-awareness. Well, Jesus comes to also show us a clear view of ourselves. And we need that. And I believe that John chapter one, chapters of uh, verses one through five kind of speak to this idea of how Jesus comes to bring a deeper sense of not only situational awareness, the finiteness and the fallenness of our world, but also something on awareness that we need of ourselves. It says here in First John, or excuse me, in John chapter one, verses one through five, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, not anything was made that was made. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. So now we move from Jesus just being this light that comes into the world, but a light that cannot be overcome by darkness, but also that this light that he brings is also a life that we desperately need. And so Jesus coming into the world as light also raises my own awareness that, that I need something that I can't provide for myself. I want you to look just a few verses back before I read this passage on Jesus coming as light as to a conversation that was happening amongst the Pharisees that prompted Jesus to begin to cry aloud and say that I have come into this world as light. Listen to this in verses 41 of chapter 12. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, talking about God, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, Many, even of the authorities, believed in him, talking about Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Listen to this very carefully, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of the light that Jesus wants to bring that increases our self-awareness of our current condition. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So there were people during Jesus's day that saw him somewhat clearly, believed that he was exactly who he said he was, the light of the world, but they would not confess it because they preferred the glory and approval of men more than they did the glory and approval of God. This kind of tips our hat as to why we need the light of Jesus to increase our self-awareness. Here's what we need to be aware of concerning ourselves: We love the glory of men, simply put. But we also love darkness, simply put. We love the glory of men. We love the approval of men. And we also love darkness. The Bible says that, that if, if Jesus had not come, we would remain in darkness. Jesus also said, or John told us also, that when Jesus came into the world, that men loved their darkness rather than light. Actually, it was over in John chapter 3, verse 19, that this is the judgment, that light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. It is clear that our current condition or our default setting as a people are those who love the glory of men and we also love darkness. This is the self-awareness that Jesus wants to be raised as he comes in and shines light on our issues through his word. Well, what does it mean that we are a people who love the glory of men? 
I believe that for every one of us, whether you like it or not, it can be clearly demonstrated and proven that we all long for the approval of both our person and our work. Now hear me clearly, we also love pleasure. We are wired in a way that longs for the approval of other people and that also longs for a proper appraisal and an approval of our work. We are also a people who long for pleasure. We are wired for this and I have a surprise for you. This wiring is not altogether wrong, but what is wrong is how we go about seeking the approval of others and how we go about seeking this pleasure. When I say that we are a people that love the glory of men or we long for the approval of both our work and our person, I want you to consider this basic dynamic. Uh, one of the number one reasons that people leave their jobs are not because their salaries aren't high enough, but because, and this is research supported, but because they don't feel valued as an employee. People are saying, well, you know what, I, I make decent money, but man, I just don't feel like they value me here. There's another uh, a group of people who, even when they feel personally valued, they also quit their jobs because they don't feel like their work is valuable work, even if they are affirmed as a person. And you may be saying, well, Pastor Rod, I, I, don't, I don't know about all this. Well, let me give you another example. Imagine, if you will, we were having an in-person service, and after the in-person service, I made a beeline out to the lobby. And, I, and I, I came over to one of you, and I threw my arms around your shoulder, and I said, you know what? I really don't care too much for you as a person, but I really like how well you sing. And then just before you got a chance to kind of unfurl your brow and look at me kind of weirdly for this backhanded compliment, I went over to another person and I said the inverse. I said, you know what? I really like you as an individual, but man, you couldn't play the piano if you, if you had to do it to save your life. You see what happened there? In both of these quote unquote compliments, for one person, I affirmed the value of their person, but not their work, and it felt insulting. And for another person, I affirm their value, but not their work. You see what happened? We are people who collectively desire approval. If we didn't want the approval of others, Mark Zuckerberg would not be a billionaire. He would be working at a deli counter somewhere asking people, you know, hey, did you say you wanted, you know, five pounds of cheese? Maybe not, you know, working at a deli counter, but clearly Facebook would not be the cash cow that it is if we as a culture did not crave the approval and affirmation of other people. We long for it, and God knows this. But the beautiful thing about this longing and craving that we have for personal approval and that also of our person and of our work is that God wants to meet us in it. You see, the Bible sheds light on this reality, and when we consider the words of Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, consider this. The best thing that we will ever hear in our entire lives will be these words right here. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, now I will set you over much. This is the highest commendation that God can offer to any person. Well done, you good and faithful servant. That is a commendation or an affirmation of my person. But then also saying that you are a faithful servant means that your work is also approved. So you see, 
from, from, a, from a self-awareness standpoint, we are all living our lives looking for approval in places other than the ultimate place, and that is before God. And Jesus comes to shed light on that, that we're looking for the glory that comes from men rather than the glory that comes exclusively and uniquely from God, and that's the only kind of glory or stamp of approval or affirmation of both our life and work that really satisfies our soul. But not only are we a people in our current situation, in our default setting, as we live in darkness, not only are we people who love the approval and the appraisal of others, we are also people who love darkness, according to the scriptures, or we love pleasure, as I'll put it this way. We long for pleasure. We long to have a heart that is full and our needs to be met without any regrets. That's what I would say. Our pursuit and longing for pleasure can be, can be framed in this way. Our heart, we want our hearts to be full, and our needs to be met without any regret. If you think about any pleasure seeking, whether it is to go on a great vacation or to go to an awesome restaurant or to go have a massage or to whatever it is that you do as a pleasure seeker, right? Anything that we do, we want our hearts to be full and our needs to be completely met. And, and, and if either one of those is off kilter or not fully satisfied, we continue the pleasure seeking journey. But notice that in Matthew chapter 25, what the master says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Now I'll make you faithful over much. And guess what the, the latter part of that verse is? Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, the two principal things that God offers, the highest thing that God has to offer is our entrance into his joy where we have pleasure evermore through full unbroken fellowship with him and we have full affirmation and approval of our person. The two things that we long for most deeply and that is again approval of our person and the lifelong pursuit of pleasure. And so Jesus has come to help us see that my deepest desires are actually designed to be fulfilled in him. Jesus has come as light to help us see that our deepest desires are actually designed to be fulfilled in him and in no other source. And so Jesus has come into the world as light to make us have situational awareness. My world is broken. My world is fallen. My world is finite. My world is fixable, but not by human hands. This is the situational awareness that the Lord wants to bring uh, through his light, the light of his word that describes the world in its current condition. It is through the word of God that we come to these awarenesses. It is through the word of God that we also be, are made aware of our own self-awareness. What is it that makes me tick? Why is it that I seek the approval of others? Jesus came to actually share that with us, to show that, to live in human form and to take on human frame and to live through human difficulty, to walk alongside us and to, to be our tour guide through this life of pursuing pleasure and seeking glory from one another and seeking approval so that we could see that what we're really seeking, how we're really wired and what we really want can only be found exclusively in God when he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Well, Jesus also wants us to see something else. He wants to raise our awareness of our self, the awareness of our situation, but he also wants to raise awareness of our sin. Sin is not a word that we regularly enjoy. Uh, some people don't use it at all, maybe think it's an exclusively religious term. And so if you don't like the word sin, you try this on for size. 
Um, the Bible says that we all constantly live below the standard of God. We fall short of his glory. That's sin. But try this on from a practical perspective. Sin can be defined as solutions that ignore my need for God. Seeking solutions for the brokenness of this world, seeking solutions for the finiteness of this world, seeking solutions to fix this world that completely ignore the need for God. That's sin. Try this. It is also personal pursuits of satisfaction that ignore our need for God. Whether it is for approval, whether it is for pleasure, any pursuit of satisfaction in this life that ignores our need for God, it is sin. It is also this. Any effort to save ourselves, any pursuit of redemption and salvation that ignores my need for God, it is also sin. Jesus comes into the world to shed light on the reality of what sin is so that our understanding of sin is not just limited to, oh, I broke a few religious rules and I need to go do a confession. That's not the real idea of sin. The real idea of sin is to understand it is any effort in life that tries to ignore God in pursuit of satisfaction. That is sin. Jesus comes into the world to raise our awareness of this. I don't know of a better way to show it uh, or reveal it in Scripture than to take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. Here it is closely. Read it slowly. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of um, all unrighteousness. There are several things that I want you to see in this passage concerning what the light of Jesus comes to reveal to us concerning our sin and how it wants to raise our awareness of the reality of sin. In verse five, the Bible tells us of verse five of first John chapter one, it says, this is a message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him, no, there is no darkness at all. Well, we've already been informed that we are a people that love to remain in darkness. So first and foremost, if you're trying to wrap your mind around what sin really is, it's so much more than just the breaking of rules. Sin is a nature issue. The nature of God is that he is light. And our nature is that we are people in darkness. God's nature is he is holy. We are not. He is light. We are not. He is righteous. We are unrighteous. Sin is a nature issue. It is a nature issue. But look at verse six. It is also something else. It's not either or. It is and sin is not only a nature issue, but it says in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth which means not only is sin a nature issue, sin is also a behavior issue. It is reflective of our actual activity in life. But before it became a behavior, it's actually part of our nature. But then the Bible beautifully shows us something else by way of the wonderful light of Scripture. It says that um, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and with the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, which cleanses us from all sin. 
And if we skip down, it says in verse nine, so then if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I hope you didn't miss that. In verse five, we learn that the light of God reveals to us that sin is a nature issue. He is light and we are living in darkness. We also saw in verse six that sin is a behavior issue because if God is in light and we say we walk in the light, but we are we, we say we are in the light and we, we are walking in darkness. That's a behavior issue. But then the Bible goes on further to say, you know what? Sin, if you're willing to confess it, becomes a savior issue. In other words, if we will get honest with ourselves and be honest before God, if we will agree with God and confess that my sin is a nature issue, I was born this way. And if we will confess before God that my sin is a behavior issue, it's things that I do as well as something that I am. When we agree with those things, the Bible said that if we'll confess that, then our sin, both our nature and our behavior becomes the savior's issue. It says that Jesus will cleanse us of our unrighteousness, that we will have uh, fellowship with his blood, which cleanses us. And when sin becomes the savior's issue, now we understand that sin is actually a payment issue. That is, somebody has to pay for this. So the great beauty that Jesus's life reveals to us is this. He came to show us exactly what our sin is so that we could see exactly how faithful, just, and forgiving the father is. You see, when we see our sin clearly by way of Jesus's light, when he exposes and reveals our darkness, what immediately happens is I grow to appreciate the faithfulness of God. Well, God, how could you constantly forgive somebody like me who is walking in darkness when I'm supposed to be in fellowship with you? It shows the great faithfulness of God, but it also reveals the justice of God. Well, Lord, how can a holy God have such fellowship with unholy men? Because he places the payment of that sin, the payment of that nature and behavior on Christ. So he is a just God because someone is paying for the sin. But then he is a forgiving God because in placing the payment for our sin on the shoulders of Christ and on the life of Christ, he then is able to extend to us forgiveness of our sins in Christ and those that see him in the proper light. And so the Lord Jesus Christ has come to raise our situational awareness. We need to recognize that our world is fallen and it is finite. And when we discover our need for Jesus, it is not for us to just keep it for my four and no more, but I should be out there as, as a child of light campaigning for the kingdom and revealing and the situational awareness to others that they would also come to see Christ the way that we see him. We also recognize that, that when we see Jesus clearly and it raises my self-awareness, my sin or, or my pursuits and my desires in life no longer are just arbitrary pullings that I am uh, embarrassed by, but these are things that I can bring to the Lord and say, Lord, here is satisfaction and approval and desire that I'm seeking to have uh, fulfilled in this life. And I want to fulfill them in a way that matches the life that is uniquely in you. So now the raised self-awareness helps us to live a greater life of sanctification because I know what to do with all of my desires. And that is to aim them at Jesus. And Lord, show me how this is satisfied in you. Then, of course, when we become aware of our sin, we no longer have to live in secret or live in embarrassment. We let the light of Jesus fully and truly define what sin is 
and why it works the way that it does. It is a part of my nature. It is a part of my behavior. But when I agree with God on that, then I am ready to have Jesus to, to, to make my sin issue part of my relationship with the Savior. Does that make sense? Just to be clear, when sin, when I see sin as a nature issue and a behavior issue, the Father says, we're in agreement. Now I can make that a savior issue and we can address that sin. But if you want to walk and live in darkness and suggest that all people are essentially good and we just occasionally have screw ups, God says, you know what? You're lying. You're lying on me and lying on the scriptures. We can't make your sin a savior issue yet. It's your issue. You'll have to die in that and deal with it yourself. But if you're the kind of person that says, all right, well, you know, maybe I am, you know, poor or bad or naughty by very nature, but my behavior, uh, that wasn't that bad. And God says, well, if you want to try to justify your own behavior, then you're not ready for a conversation about the Savior because you're, you're trying to negotiate the terms of your own sin. But when we will agree with God that sin is a nature issue and it's a behavior issue, he says, all right, now we can make that a savior issue and your sins can now rest on Jesus and you will be justified in Christ and experience the fulfillment or the, excuse me, the forgiveness that is uniquely available in Christ. And so why did Jesus come? Jesus came to raise our awareness of the problem of darkness and to draw us into the great deep eternal joy of his righteousness. He reveals his marvelous light in order to call us out of our darkness. So um, reason number two that Jesus came, he came to raise our awareness of the problem of darkness. He came into the world as a light to invite us out of our darkness into his marvelous righteousness. Let's pray. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, we're thankful to you for your great grace and mercy and how it is that you've helped us and walked us through your word to see just for a moment one more reason why you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord God, in our situational awareness and how we see our world. Help us to see Jesus clearly in his word, uh, Lord God, and how we see ourselves and help us to get honest about our sin as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.